Have you ever heard of the phrase, let your conscience be your guide? Have you ever heard that? Let your conscience be your guide. And I suppose that's all right, let your conscience be But there's kind of can be sometimes rather tricky about what would be your conscience and what would be your guide. Have that this morning. I grew up with some life commandments. Now, this is different and not these, not the Ten Commandments. Yes, I grew up with those, but life commandments went beyond the Ten Commandments. Life commandments were a little different. They are things that parents passed down to you, and those were the things that you did not do, and you were told to that as a child, and they lived with you because that was how your family operated. So one of my life commandments that my mother said to me was, uh, children are to be seen but not heard. Have you ever heard that? Now, today we kind of go, oh, we, we, we don't want to do that. But but that was when you grew up, yeah, children are to be seen but not heard. And I often remember that being spoken to me when I was being particularly rambunctious, I suppose. I can't ever think of a time that might happen. But it was a time that uh, there were certain life commandments like that that you grew up with. And happened. I'll never forget that there was times that I had learned as a life commandment that I was to uh, always let ladies go through the door first. The gentleman always does that. And isn't that right? Yeah, it's a life commandment that you do that and have that happen. And I learned that when my mother and I were at the grocery store and I was making my way through the door first and she put out her foot and over I went. And as she stepped over me, laying there on the floor, ladies first, she said. So that was a life commandment that came back to me uh, to always have that. And I always remembered mother first. Yes, ladies first as you go. Uh, So it depends on your conscience about how you grew up, that some of that, your conscience that you carried with that. So perhaps we need to take a look at that and about the conscience and what is speaking to us. Now, Don and Carol Richardson, in 1962, were missionaries. They were sent as missionaries off to a very primitive area in New Guinea. And when they went to New Guinea, they were with the Swahi people. Now, the Swahi people were rather unusual people. They lived out in which they were headhunters, and they also were cannibals. So it made it kind of a tricky mission if you're going to go out there and present Christ to this group. So they went out and by themselves, the two of them, and their book that the Richardsons wrote is called Peace Child. If you have not read that book, it's an incredible book. So they were out there, and the Swahi people, they learned very quickly, they valued treachery. Treachery. So they learned that It was uh, thought to be uh, a life commandment or of good conscience. And how you would do that is you would befriend someone. You would make friends with them. You invite them over for your dinner and you would for the dinner and you would feed them up and you would fat them. You build this great relationship with them and that they were friends and they would build a trust level back and forth. And then at the very last second in your relationship, you would surprise them by springing on them and killing them and eating them. And the idea was that you loved that look of that surprise look when the person realized he was being betrayed. The treachery of it all. So that was highly prized among the Swahi people if they could do that. So 
when Don and Carol Richardson presented to them the story of Christ and what had happened to him, and they were sharing with them, Judas, who betrayed Jesus with a kiss, was thought to be the hero of the story. And they all said, we need, wasn't that a great thing that Judas did? How he tricked Jesus with that and sent him to the cross. Wasn't that a great thing? And so Judas became the hero of the story. Oh, dear. We have a real problem. Read the book, Peace Child. You can get it at Amazon. I'm not selling it, but it's a good book. It's a great story of how they were able to turn that around how they were able to deal with that issue of that great thing. But you see, that in that story, that particular tribe, letting your conscience be your guide would not be good because the conscience would say, if you can pull off the treachery, that would be good. You see? So the normal and appropriate response, even during Jesus' day, Jesus talked to him about it, and he said to them, and he talked to him about it in Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you have heard that it is an eye for eye. Tooth for tooth. That's kind of how things went. Eye for eye, tooth. You you damage me, I damage you back. You do something to me, I do it back to you. That's justice. That's how it is. We try to balance things out. If you injure me, I injure you. So eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth was their idea. They also, during that time, as betrayal of Jesus, had treachery, did they not? in which they were using to deceive and think the people, oh, yes, like this and like that, all the deception that was going on and happening. So treachery was part of Jesus' day, and he was experienced that when they went out and plotted against him, against Jesus. So those elements of letting your conscience be your guide may not be something that we can always depend on and rely on. Would you open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12. I'd like you to notice something in Romans chapter 12. This is an incredible section in the Bible, Romans chapter 12. And in Romans chapter 12, Jesus is talking, I mean, uh, Paul is talking about some of the things that Jesus was teaching, and Paul was sharing with him, and he said, for the believer, for the believer, for the believer, love is the secret Now, I'd like to walk this through with you a little bit in Romans 12 so you can kind of catch on to see how this is different than just letting your conscience be your guide. Because in Romans 12, Jesus, uh, excuse me, Paul is talking and taking this a totally different way. He's saying love is the greatest action. Love is the greatest action. All right, so pick up with me with verse 9 together. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Honor another above yourself. See, that's far different than the Swahi people that Don um, Richardson had found. They honored themselves. They were looking for take. You're going to be my dinner if I trick you. If I can catch you off, if I can get you to get confidence, you'll be comfortable, you'll get relaxed in my home, and then I spring it on you and kill you. And that look on your face, if I can get you to get that surprise look that you've been betrayed, that's the great satisfaction. So far different than what Paul is talking about. It's far different than when we see the eye for the eye, 
tooth for the tooth. There's something different here. And it's far different than the treachery that Jesus experienced from those who were supposed to be the religious leaders of the day. Back to Romans. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And in during Paul's day and in the early church, it was very important that they did that. Because many of them, because when they became Christians, were shunned and were forced out of their families and out of their heritage. And therefore, feeding one another became very important. Opening their homes, taking people in. Very important. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. This uh, last Tuesday, I, I go every month to a East, uh, East Naples pastor's luncheon. It's from the pastors in our area, many different denominations. We get together. This is not a picture of us, but I didn't get a picture of them, so just pretend. So, so we go and we have this luncheon each month, and, and we lay plans of what we can do together and things that we want to do in our community, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I was eating lunch there with them, and they were talking, a pastor sitting next to me, and talking about Habitat for Humanity. Now, evidently, Habitat for Humanity has been active in our community, and particularly if you go down out our road here, down Davis and go a little farther, there are some buildings and some things out that way that Habitat for Humanity has been constructing, and they're starting another phase and getting ready for it to go. Well, at our city council, at, I mean our county council uh, there, it, uh, the plans have to go before the planning commission, and as a result, there's quite a bit of discussion. So what happens is that um, the engineers get up and they talk about all the, the different things that are involved in this project and all the things that they have to do, engineering to make it go, and the permits and so forth. And then the people get up, and they start complaining loudly. And they, for some of the people say, and they get up and they make long-winded speeches about, well, the added traffic will ruin the area. And the engineers say, well, we've already planned for that. We've already got that in the works. We've already taken care of that problem. It doesn't matter. It's added traffic. It'll ruin our area. Our schools are already full. We can't take any more students. Sorry, can't have any more lamb. We can, uh, we can hardly handle the water runoff as it is. What are you going to do with all the runoff? If you're going to pave everything and put all these kind of stuff up, what are you going to do? And besides, it will lower our tax base and hurt the community services that we have come to expect. And they get all kinds of this kind of reaction happening. And as I'm sitting there with these pastors and as we're looking at it and talking about this together, one of the pastors suggested, well, it basically boils down to this. Not in my neighborhood. I don't want those people in my neighborhood. Now, I don't 
want to get into their motives and behind what they're doing and their reasoning. But that's not the example that Paul is talking about. He goes on to say, do not repay anyone evil for evil. You have heard it said, Jesus said, Jesus said, you have heard it say, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But Jesus goes on to say, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And give the one who asks of you, do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Where did that come from? That came from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew recorded that, the Sermon on the Mount. Incredible, the best sermon ever written. And recorded, Jesus gave. The Sermon on the Mount. Watch this. Mount.
think that Paul and Jesus are suggesting to us a different way of having our conscience function. I think what is being suggested here in Romans, and we're going to look and go on, and he says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Doesn't that sound like the Sermon on the Mount? Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it was written, it is mine, God says, to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap uh, burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Hard words, difficult words to practice of being loving to other people when we feel them sensing that they are our enemy. And that outreach, that extension of love that is called on, calls beyond our life commandments or our thing to be able to love and to share with other people. Even though that command to take the other, go the extra mile, to do them, to, to feed those that are your enemy, to take care of them. I think it's an amazing thing that Paul is calling for us when we all kind of grow up with a conscience that we've been taught by our parents. It is going beyond that, saying that there is an example of way of loving others that Christ calls us to do that performs a new type of conscience that is bathed in the sacrifice and love of Christ. The practical results of love are many, but among them, we must not forget the spirit which strives to excel excel in treating others with the deference they deserve. True humility delivers us from the false estimate of ourselves, but it also sets us free to place a proper valuation on the worth of others. That is the problem that happens at the council the worth of the other person. Now, perhaps you had everything handed to you. I had many blessings from my parents, but there was a time when I know what it's like to go hungry, and I know what it's like to struggle. That experience, having that consciousness of being aware of what I went through to be able to see others passing through, Sometimes we make bad decisions, that's true. Sometimes decisions, and we get into deep trouble. But that is never the excuse for us to not stop loving that person. Never. So there's a consciousness formed by Christ's example, which is a higher consciousness of being available and caring for others. You remember the golden rule. The golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do to you. That's kind of thing. That's that's kind of I was taught that, you know, you as you want to treat others. But love is turning into an action, not just a response, but it's turning into action that goes beyond a conscious of involving yourself in a loving act for other people. It's something that speaks to me. And knowing, Pastor, you need to be loving to others. It's always a call for that. 
where I can fall back on things, on my conscience, and then say, well, this is what I've always said. No, God is calling you to come forward. Come forward in an action of love. So Christ's love, Christ's love is an action. Let's do that here. Where Christ's love for others exceeds everything else. And as his children, as his believers, as his followers, may we love one another. Dear Lord, I thank you for the powerful lesson from Paul. A reflection that comes from the Sermon on the Mount. Paul reiterates to us the very thing of the action in love. An example given to us by Christ himself in laying down his life for others. Paul did as well. Devoted his life to helping and sharing with others. I thank you for the example of the Richardson family who who went so far around the world to a very dangerous place to take the gospel of love to that community. And the response and the way that they responded, far different than what we see in the world around us. Lord, teach us how to love one another. And may that be a guiding principle for all of us. Love in action. Guide us in that, in Jesus' name, amen.